Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Chef Johnny Rhodes from Restaurant Indigo coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Fluff Bake Bar in Midtown. Rebecca Masson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for being here. We have much to discuss, so let us just dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, good news for Kitchen 713 fans. That restaurant may be gone, but its chefs are still cooking. Ross Coleman has found a new job as the executive chef at 2840 at Duquesa. This is the restaurant. It opened this uh, fall at an events venue that's basically on Chimney Rock, just south of Westheimer. Uh, I had the opportunity to dine there. Ross tasted me through uh, a couple of the dishes that he's still working on. But uh, you know Kitchen 713. Yes, I love those boys. I'm happy to see that we will get to enjoy Ross's food other than catering. Yeah, they'd been doing like some, he and James Haywood had been doing some like fried chicken and barbecue type catering. And James, of course, has a, James is running brunch at the uh, Candy Shack Daiquiri Bar (laughs) on Washington Avenue. Uh, I have not had a chance to swing by there yet, but is it just a bar that serves daiquiris? I like, think that's right. Okay. I don't know if it's the modern day daiquiri factory or. Oh my god! I, I, they must have other drinks, and and for brunch they have like you know bloody marys and mimosas and stuff. But. Oh, that's nice. Okay, but you know daiquiris are a little sweet. Yeah, but no, I'm excited about what Ross is up to, because it's still his food. Yes. Right. Like for example, he's doing a. Goat tostada, which is Ethiopian goat watt on an injera crisp. So not a tostada at all. Not at all. But But if he called it Ethiopian goat dish, no one would order it. This this is true. This is true. You got to appeal to the masses in your description to get them intrigued. But he's also doing stuff that you would have never seen a kitchen with that, you know, because the owner of. 2840 at Duquesa, Sarah Bati wants to appeal to like, she's a, I don't, I don't know that she would object to my calling her a cool mom <laughs> and she wants her cool mom friends to be able to hang out there like while their kids are at school. I wondered, is this kind of like, I, I actually had to look it up. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I did not know this restaurant. Um, is it kind of like the Dunlavy and the concept that it's like a ladies who lunch kind of place, but with a big old event space attached. That is the goal. Yes. Like okay. the, the Duquesa event space hosts any number of weddings and corporate parties and other celebrations. So it's not, it's not busy at lunchtime. Right. So they started a restaurant to, it's like, well, we have, we have, we have, we have a space and parking and, and, and yeah, a and a kitchen and a liquor license and a chef. It's like, well, we might as well have people in for lunch. Yes. So I guess nominally, if like if you were there for a wedding, like this would be where the cocktail hour usually is. Ah, okay. I get and then you. you would go deeper into the facility for like your seated banquet 
you know, yada yada. Yeah, your hoopla. Yeah. <laughs> so they've turned that space into a into a restaurant with you know nice yeah. tables and chairs, and it looks nice. And they hired they hired a different chef in the beginning, and he didn't work out, and now they have Ross. Uh, but so in the interest of feeding like the cool moms, there's like salads and avocado toast and juices, just stuff that would never stuff that stuff that you would not have ever seen at kitchen Seven One Three. I gotcha. I got and you. and no fried chicken. Oh, come on. James James is doing the fried chicken. Those 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 ladies who lunch secretly love fried chicken. They're just not gonna eat in front of their friends. Yeah, I asked Ross about that and he's like, maybe as a pop up or maybe they have they have vague plans to roll out brunch eventually. So maybe Hey Ross, you can come do fried chicken at Fluff any Thursday night yeah, you want. Thursday night takeover. He's free on Thursday nights. Okay, I'm calling him up. Well we tried to get a bake sale and then uh schedule so i'll call him up tell yeah. him to come do fried chicken but I, I i guess mostly i'm just excited that he's still got that he's found a landing spot yeah that's that's good for him and good for us so we can go we could you know what we could go be ladies who lunch one day we can be ladies who lunch i'm free yeah. on mondays <laughs> and it's right down the street from the office oh perfect perfect all right topic number two perry's steakhouse I've noticed this because, you know, I'm on Gray, not West Gray. Right. Sometimes I drive down West Gray and I saw that. It's enormous. It's huge. It's two stories. It's so this is so they're opening where California Pizza Kitchen used to be next to the River Oaks Theater. I'm pretty sure they're going to be busier than California Pizza Kitchen. I think that's a low bar. Yeah. I think I think they would. I don't I don't know that their business model is just be slightly busier than California Pizza Kitchen. Um, interesting fact. When I was 18, I was a certified uh, server trainer at the California Pizza Kitchen in Dallas. Ooh, huh? Yes. How far you've come. I know. Look at me now. All right. But so Perry's. So I, I think most people know Perry's because there's sort of a ring of them around like the inner part of Houston. Yes. Right. There are true. none of them inside the loop. But like every suburb has one. It started in Clear Lake. There's one in Sugarland. There's one in Katy. There's the only one Memorial that's actually City. in Houston is is at Memorial City Mall. But you know that had that had been that Memorial City location had been their flagship. This is going to be the new flagship. It's almost it's like twelve thousand five hundred square feet. That one at Memorial City is huge. Yeah, and this one's really big too. Two story, like you said, two stories. Kind of a bar centric focus downstairs, dining room upstairs. It's a little bit of the Steak 48 model. So I think with the success of C and B scene at Brasserie 19, you might, that bar might be kind of hopping. Yeah, I think River Oaks has sort of demonstrated, even, even pre B19, going back to when LaGrolia. It's true. Yeah. You know, the LaGrolia bar was kind of the spot for a long time. And then it was B19, and now it feels like it's going to be Perry's, maybe. They need an Instagram overheard at Perry's. <laughs> that stuff's the, funny, that if, overheard at B19. If they achieve that, you will know that They've they have caught it. on. Yeah. But, I I mean, I haven't, I haven't eaten at a Perry's very much. They're kind of known for that pork chop. Um, I'm going to, you know, truth be told, I've eaten there once. I did some consulting for them for dessert menus. I don't know when. Oh, wow. A long time ago. Um, it's not 
it's it's just not my thing. But are steakhouses your thing? No. Okay. I do enjoy a good steak every once in a while, but like I'll go to Real and have that hanger steak that we've discussed so lovingly. Yes. I'm not like I'm not going to go eat a giant. Is isn't there pork chop like a something silly like a dollar on Fridays or something? Uh I think it's I think it's 14.95 most Fridays uh-huh. and then very occasionally they run it for 79 cents, which I guess was its that's the year they were founded, 1979. Okay. And so they will and it's like a frenzy. Oh, it's, it's like insane. line out the door cuckoo bananas, you know. It's it's kind of Franklin like, barbecue style. It's it's kind of like restaurant week. Yeah. Yeah. You bring out the people who don't normally go, but because it's so inexpensive, they're like, I'm on it. <laughs> Everybody loves a good deal on a pork chop. Not gonna lie. I I like a good deal, but I'm not gonna go have it. I probably won't go. No, but it will be interesting to see how, you know, can they step it up in terms of the service and the overall experience in a way? Because, like, from a physical, like a physical perspective, they have all the tools. And and steakhouses are super popular, and they're going to have all the cocktails and all the wines and all that stuff. It's just can they take all of those raw ingredients and turn that into an experience that is compelling enough to get, I mean, frankly, to get like that Steak 48 crowd to come back east, right? That, that you know, yeah. that was, you know, B-19 was the hotspot, and it still is for some people. But a lot of that crowd has drifted to other places. They're always looking for something new. Will they give Perry's a shot? I don't know. I think they'll give them a shot. I think, you know, they run a pretty tight ship. Like they, you know, they have their standards of service. They have like the kitchens are very, I don't want to say automated, but they are almost automated in how they run. So I think consistent with what they do outside the loop versus inside the loop will remain the same just because they've had that much practice all around. It's just, does that neighborhood want a quote unquote, it's a chain. I mean, it's a local chain, but it's a chain. Yeah, they're in like, I didn't realize this, they're in like five states. Oh. Like Denver, Chicago, coming soon to Miami. I had no idea. Alabama, I think. Birmingham, they're, they're in Birmingham. Yeah, no, it's... Wow. It, I mean, we talk about the fact that Houston restaurants don't seem to get exported to other cities in the same way that restaurants that are not from here seem to come here. Well, Perry's is the exception to that rule. Perry's, I mean... And Cyclone and Ias. Yes. Perry, but Perry's has been highly successful. Well, then maybe we're just wrong. <laughs> maybe my, yes, my skepticism will be quickly disproved. Perry's is going to be a huge hit. I, I'm going there for dinner next week, and I'm actually pretty excited about it. I think it would be excited. I think, I think they obviously, being so successful, have, like I said, a consistent run with what they do. So, you know, I don't think food will be bad. No, I think food will be good. Yeah. I just... I I wonder about the the service, the experience, but but you know, they they know how to take good care of people. I've I've I came into this kind of thinking one way and I think I've talked myself into the other way. I think you kind of talked me out of it too. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll find out starting February eleventh. I wonder if they still have the Rocky Road bread pudding I made on the menu. <laughs> I, I, we will 
You can find out for me. I'll find out for you. I'll report back. It was pretty good. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> All right. Topic number three. Carmelo's, the Memorial Area Italian Institution, uh, was purchased by Ben Berg of B&B Butchers about a year ago. And it's kind of floated along for a year with a new menu by his brother, Chef Daniel Berg. I had Ben and Daniel on the podcast a while back. And they talked about kind of the process of transforming Carmelo's. Uh, they have now closed it temporarily to give it a comprehensive renovation. Uh, and I asked their publicist, does this mean that the name is changing? And they, she wouldn't commit one way or the other to whether or not the name was changing. You can't change the name. Then it's just a brand new restaurant. Right. Then it's a brand new. But Then it's no longer Carmelo's. But maybe, that, but maybe Carmelo's needs that. Right, maybe maybe yeah. what people think of when they think of Carmelo's has become so fixed that if you're going to go to the expense of, you know, new bar, outdoor patio, exterior renovations, because look, I've been to Carmelo's. It is dated as fuck. <laughs> it is like straight out of the eighties, and it needs. But aren't a lot of people that live in Memorial? Well, that that is possible. I mean, it's it's. A little bit older generation living there, no? I, you know, I don't, are there, I mean, surely there are. There's got to be some youngins. There've got to be some youngins. There've got to be some, I don't know. If they you, probably come inside the loop. They probably like. They probably do. Or they, or they go to city center. Yeah, there you it's, go. It's hip happening in city center. I don't understand that place. That is, it's, it's, that is beyond the purview of today's conversation. I know. But so, I, I think it's a fine line because. You know, Italian-American food did have this kind of revival nationally, right? Red Sauce Italian had this, like, Carbone in New York City, now in Vegas. There's some other restaurants. They kind of tried, the the Helen guys kind of tried that with Arthur Avenue in the Heights. Didn't catch on. It closed pretty fast. I I want Carmelo's to kind of have that that old-school kind yeah. of Rat Packy Italian-American vibe. I mean, it's like, um, what's the one on Ella? Um, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. It's like Ella and um, just just past six ten there. Anyways, it's um, it's they. I think they updated the dining room, but the food like they like they still do the table side Caesar. They have their pasta. They've got really good pizza, but it's even with an update, it's still dated. But the, it's it, I'm not going there for the dining room. I'm going there to eat the the that craving I have for that old school Italian, American right. Italian. Like weenie with clams, spaghetti and meatballs, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean. Chicken som- Parmesan. Yeah. Sometimes you just want like red sauce and pasta. Oh, I want that all the time. Right. My mom makes a really good one, by the way. Next time I'll invite you over. Um, but uh, I just don't, if you're going to change the name, then just change the whole game. Because I feel like, like you said, it's an institution. It's been there. People know it. They recognize it. They've probably celebrated many birthdays and anniversaries there. Like, if you're going to change the name, just change it all together. Yeah, I mean, and and let's say that, you know, the timing of the purchase a year ago, it's been tough. That that area, that part of West Houston was particularly hard hit by the hurricane because that's where... They had to do the runoff from the, uh, the attics and Barker yeah. Reservoirs. 
So, you know, that that neighborhood has been longer coming back than other parts of Houston. And in addition, there's been all the street construction on Memorial <laughs> that's made it hard to get there. So I think that the timing of now to close and reopen makes a lot of sense. It needs the updates. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I kind of hope that they keep the name. Um, maybe I just caught the publicist off guard by even asking that. <laughs> or, or maybe the, the fix is in. I don't know. You know, I don't, maybe it's already decided. Um, but if it becomes, you know, Benny's or Danny's instead of Carmelo's. Uncle would, Benny's. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that'd be all right. <laughs> I uh, mean, I don't doubt that, that those guys will make it into something. I mean, you've got B.B. Butcher and B.B. Lemon and they're both doing well. So there's some magic touch in there. But I don't. I don't know. I'm just all for not messing with institutions. But sometimes they need. I, mean, well, I get the. I get the renovations. I get updating the dining room, but don't change, like, the core, the food, the menu, the name. Do you know what I mean? Right. Keep the red sauce Italian. Keep the name, but give it a brand new bar. Give it a patio. Kind of bring it into 2019. And and I will say, you know. Ben Berg did a really nice job of turning the Caddyshack, which was kind of dilapidated, into BB Lemon. I legit like BB Lemon. Have you? Have you? I haven't been. You have. You never go anywhere. I know. I'm so bad. Uh, but they did a really nice job, like giving that kind of this like intimate New York vibe, and and it's got this great sprawling patio. So I'm optimistic that Carmelo's that that the bones of Carmelo's can be turned anew. Uh, a more modern, lighter, brighter, more appealing dining room. And then keep the food because the food is what that, that, you know, that red sauce Italian food, like is such an emotional thing for people. You got to just keep that. You do very much. All right. And then topic number four, this is, this is more of interest maybe to me than it will be to you. (laughs) Do you, do you, you're not a big Instagrammer. You're a little bit of an Instagrammer. Um, I am fluff. Yeah, I mean, I have to for business. Yeah. And then, do you look at the stories though, or that's not you? Sometimes I'm very. My attention span is <laughs> really small. Have you seen the bingo cards that I, I have, have been posting? I have. I don't get it. I oh. don't. I I just don't get okay. it. <laughs> well, Julie Jules, or or I feel so bad. Why? She's been because I've only I've always known her as Julie Jules, but then we wrote about her, uh-huh. and I found out her last name is not. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't Jules. I just didn't know what it was. I know. And now I, called, I, I called someone Olivia when her name was Allison, but their Instagram is Allison Olivia. Like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so we published Julie's Julie's government, as they say. That's Julie, where I found out about it. Was Culture Map good? Aren't you proud of me? I I'm pleased that you read the website every now and then. Yes. Well, it's because you send me emails. <laughs> we send lots of people emails. We send tens of thousands of people's an email every morning at six fifty. I, I, I and I encourage know. people to subscribe to it. Yes, it's it's it, sometimes there's good stuff. I'm just kidding. There is sometimes there is <laughs> thirty five articles a week, give or take. So. Oh my god! No, I read this and I was like, oh my god, it's just one more thing to keep up with. Um, you so, know, for so, so I think they're really fun. 
because I've I've been post I've been posting them. These are so I guess I should clarify. Julie has created bingo cards with different restaurants on a theme. So she started with Chinatown restaurants and Chinatown desserts. She's added seafood spots and taco places and coffee shops. She and I worked together on my list of the best new restaurants of 2018. And it's 20, each card has 24 places on it. And the idea is that you take a screenshot of it and mark off the ones that you've been to. And so it's either like bragging rights, like look at all the places I've been to, or it's like, holy shit, I've got some work to do. Yeah. Like I have not been to enough places. I would, I would be the holy shit. I've got a lot of work to do person. Yeah. I, you know what? I think for food enthusiasts, it's, it's probably pretty awesome. It's like a great list. Like, cause she's probably found some places that the average Joe wouldn't find. I, in fact, on the coffee shop list, I had a barista friend of mine message me and go, I thought that place closed <laughs> and I Googled and a downtown place with a similar name had closed, but this place was in the energy corridor. Okay. And I didn't even know, I didn't know there was a good coffee place in the energy corridor. How would I know? So the next, but the next time I'm out there. Now, you know, I'll seek that out yes. so I can check that off the list and try to, but you know, I so haven't, you, there's no prize for getting bingo. You just, just the, just the satisfaction rights. of a job well done. Is that enough for people these days? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I never know. Um, you know, kudos to her for coming up with something creative. That's awesome. Yeah. It's super fun. It's totally harmless. I, I have gotten the, the other pushback. So the, so the responses that I've gotten has been, and remember, I don't create the cards, so the reactions are a little bit like, the why isn't this place on the list? Yes. That reaction is not for me. I didn't put the list together. Exactly. Right? I didn't, I didn't make the card. So is Fluff Bakebar on there? She hasn't done a she hasn't done a D- bakery one? bakeries one yet. Okay, she only did a Chinatown dessert place. Ah, there. okay. So unless you're opening, until you open in Chinatown, you're not all. Not anytime soon. No. Not anytime soon. Okay, but uh, so but the ones that I the 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 positive reaction is, oh my god, you haven't been to place X, you have got to go try it. It's awesome. That's cool. Which is cool, and then the, the other one is. I can't believe you haven't been to that place like you suck, <laughs> which is funny, but like, sorry. Like, like, why haven't you been to the coffee shop in the energy corridor, Eric? Right. It's right down the street. Well, it's like, or, so it's like the coffee shop one has Campisio coffee on it, which is right down the street from Blacksmith. I love Blacksmith. Right. I've known David Buer for a long time. I've just never had like, why would I go to the one down the street when I have the one that's, that I like? You know what I mean? So, no, I haven't been to every coffee shop because generally speaking, in any given neighborhood, especially inside the loop. There's like 12. There's like 12 and I have one that I like. Exactly. So I do, but I do, I acknowledge I have some work to do, especially on coffee shops and especially on uh, taco joints. But I'm going to get there. There's there's probably a never-ending list of taco joints. There's a, Oh, no. She, this is like taco. Right. She did taco joints. There, You could do a whole 24 more. Cards. Oh, yeah. 24 <laughs> times 24. Yeah. A gross of a gross times whatever. <laughs> All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. 
You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Becky, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk about Truth Barbecue. Yes, this yes, is the yes. Brenham-based barbecue restaurant that just opened its Houston location at the intersection of Heights Boulevard and Washington Avenue. Um, let me just start with the obvious. Had you been to the Truth location in Brenham before? No, I've only had um, Leonard's Barbecue at like different various Houston barbecue events. Yeah, yeah. So and. That's where we met too. Was at the festival last year, and and just to be clear, you're not really a big barbecue person. Um, no, I like it. I don't like. It's not my life. I don't follow it. Um, I do have. I'm in the habit. Like when I have chefs from out of town for Thursday night takeover, taking them to Fiji's. Um, now I probably will have to alternate <laughs> where I take them um, because it was really good. It's really, really good. It's really, with, as Matt Harris would say, with a capital G, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a, a baseball writer who does a podcast, and sometimes it's like, he's a guy? No, he's a guy. <laughs> yeah. It's that subtle. This is some, you know, Truth Barbecue uh, was already one of my favorite barbecue joints in Texas. I had made that drive to Brenham several times over the last two, three years. I've heard that from a lot of people. And I I think that the Houston location already a week in, two weeks in, is operating at a level of similar quality, if not maybe even a little better than the Brenham original. Well, he's which got is quite the setup. bonkers because it is so much bigger. Yeah. You know, the Brenham original has like five or six tables. Uh-huh. This has... 5,000 gallon smokers. Yes. And seating for like 250 people. Was it that big? That's what the capacity sign said. Holy crap, I didn't even notice it. It's huge. It is huge. Um, you know, I, I think I actually, we, we had to reschedule dinner, and I think I actually said, hey, let's go to Truth. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was really excited. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks great. I yeah, mean, the that, inside is beautiful. The inside is, and you know, most barbecue places, not a lot of design. There, there's obviously some thought that went into that interior because it has the the neons for Instagramming, and it has, but it's still kind of a rustic. It's it, still chalkboards and yeah, like still chalkboards, handwritten still, signs, but right. they're very well done. And then you know, the menu is. Like the the meat options are pretty standard, you know, brisket ribs, three kinds of homemade sausage, pulled pork, turkey, beef ribs on Saturdays. Um, did you have a favorite meat? I'm pulled pork is my thing. I love pulled pork, and his was really good. And I really like the is it the Carolina Gold sauce? Yeah, the yeah. kind of mustardy. Yeah, yeah. I like. I'm I'm big on like vinegar mustard tangs, so yeah. it was really tasty. Right. Uh, the brisket was first rate. Very well seasoned, very well rendered. Didn't need any lip gloss after my meal. No, no. Yeah. Glistening with beautiful beef fat. Yeah. Uh, pork ribs, juicy. The the right amount of done, which is not to say like soft, so soft that they're falling off the bone, but like not undercooked. So you have to like really pull to get it 
get the meat and off there. And not sweet. Like, no, really and nice not sweet. Balance of, nope. Like salt and pepper on the crust. Like I took a bite and was like, oh my God, this is so good. Uh, we did not get the turkey. <laughs> but we did get all three sausages. Did you have a favorite sausage? I don't know. I think I just, I took a bite of each. I just, they all just have something exciting about them. That, I, just, I couldn't pick a favorite. That beef and pork with the garlic in it is probably my personal is that, favorite. I'm going to have to get some of that and but make there's a the, Yeah. There's the jalapeno <laughs> cheese sausage and then there's a, a kind of Texas, classic Central Texas hot guts. Um, but it is the side. One of the things that, that stands out about truth of the sides Oh, my God. We had tater tot casserole and corn pudding. Oh, my God. Like, I'm going to go there just to have tater tot casserole. (laughs) Why? It's just, it's cheesy. There's a little jalapeno in there, right? Yeah. And then it's just mashed up tater. I mean, who doesn't love tater tots to begin with, right? But, and it was warm and gooey. It was just, oh, it was, I could probably eat a pintful. No, and I and I really like that corn pudding. It's it's got it's got whole corn kernels in it. It's it's a little bit sweet. It's got that great it's crust. Almost, yeah, it's it's almost like um like a cornbread souffle. Yeah, it's airy light, but it's got that nice texture of corn and cornbread. It was really tasty too. Yeah. And then I I had been previously, and we got collards that were cooked nicely, green beans that were like actually a little bit crunchy. Nice. Which is very rare in a barbecue environment. Like usually they're just cooked to mush. No, you can't have mush green beans. No. Oh, and we got mac and cheese. Oh yeah, we got the mac and cheese with the bacon on top. You need the bacon. I'm not a I mean, I'm not a huge mac and cheese person one way or the other, so you're gonna have to tell me whether that's good mac and cheese or not. It was good. It's not like Mrs. Wilson good, but it was good. Like I'd eat it again. Yeah. Um and then, you know, they're known for their cakes. Holy Okay, first, let me just start this off. Leonard, my birthday is May 23rd. I would like a Funfetti cake for my birthday. Like, I ate it. I ate the leftover. Like, we didn't finish our slice. Like, just to be clear, you make cake for a living, and you want someone else to make you a cake for your birthday. Yeah. Don't tell my mom. Okay. Because she makes German chocolate. But that, it, it, it wasn't really, like, it, I was expecting, like, just looking at it, I was like, God, this is going to be, like, hurt your teeth sweet, Right. Right, they're sky high. These are like three level layer frosted layer cakes. Yeah, tall. Yeah, they're huge. Um, It was like there was not a lot of frosting, which is that's the way to my heart, right there. It was I hate the word, but it was moist. But it and it didn't like crumble like it like if you press your fork on the crumbs, the the crumbs stick to your fork in that like good way. So it was like almost like if you took like fresh white bread and balled it into a ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I ate the like we didn't finish our slice. I ate the leftovers for breakfast Saturday morning before the bake sale. It was so good. It was so good. I'm excited to go back and try the other ones. Yeah. And then just to kind of get at some of the ancillary, we got there at about 1030 on a Friday and there was hardly any line. But by the time they opened at 11, it was a long line. It was, yes. So at the risk of at the risk of busting this and making the line worse for myself when I want to go, <laughs> it seems like getting there We'll just go at ten fifteen. Yeah, right. It seems like getting there thirty like if you if you're worried about a line that you know, getting there closer to thirty minutes early instead of fifteen minutes early will make a difference. Um, the parking lot is big by the standards of restaurants on Washington Avenue. 
but not big enough for the capacity. So again, so getting there early helps. Uh, and apparently they're exploring the possibility of a valet to help them kind of manage that. Cause otherwise you're going to wind up parking like on side streets nearby and having to walk. And that's always uncomfortable for people. So they said that the, like the line stayed pretty steady through the day. Yeah. So. Yeah. And they're selling out They're They're selling out every day uh, between like two 30 and three o'clock. So if perfect. you, if you roll up there at two expecting the full menu, like probably not going to happen for you. But you can you can also feel pretty good about maybe you'll get a brisket sandwich or maybe you'll get a couple of pieces of sausage or you know whatever. And if you want to just have cake, you can go in and skip the line. Yes, there's a separate register just for cakes. I wonder if I could get tater tot casserole and a slice of cake at that line. They might they mm-hmm. might do that for you. They won't sell you meat from that register. That's okay. I think I'm okay with those two things right now. <laughs> uh, and then I I think the. The question becomes, like, how good is it, right? Is this already a top five Houston barbecue joint? Um, I posed that question to our, our good friend. Well, I, I posed that question to our friend Patrick, who was sitting with us. Uh-huh. But then I also posed it to Michael Fulmer, who's one of the organizers of the Houston Barbecue Festival, oh. who dismissed the contention as ridiculous because it's too new. Oh, but he's so, he's so politically correct. <laughs> Yeah, he can't say it. No, he can't. But we but, can. But I think I will. I think it's already a top five. I think so. I definitely do. I mean, for someone who doesn't eat a lot of barbecue and doesn't choose that to go to, like it's probably a place I would choose to go to from now on. It's like I choose to go to Fiji's. Now I'll say truth as well. Yeah. And and for me, I think, you know, when I have less time, you know, certainly living inside the loop, I am very happy with both Fijis in the pit room, uh, closer to the office, Regal's, Brisket House, all excellent, all very good. Happy to dine at any of them. Uh, when I have a little more time or when Over I'm looking there. for something, yeah, instead of driving out to Corkscrew or Killens or Tejas, I'll, I'll probably just go to Truth. I think so. I think that's kind of where I'm at. It's it's at that level already, I think. I think having been in Brenham for the past few years and getting his, you know, feet wet and like getting that practice in there. And then he just has to do it consistently on a larger scale every day now. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, two visits a week apart. Um, I think he, you know, it, it has delivered at that level. I think Leonard certainly understands the challenge ahead of him. Now what happens when Brenham reopens and he's trying to kind of shuffle back and forth? I don't know. Uh, but right now, uh, Truth is is very very good. Well, he seems to have some good support staff around him here. He does. So I he think does. that'll be that'll be beneficial in the future. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. May twenty third. Just so just so you know, Leonard. One more time. All right, Becky. Before <laughs> you get out of here, what's going on at Fluff Bake Bar? Um. Well, we Saturday morning bake sale alive and well still. Um, we've got a pastry chef from the Adolphus Hotel in Dallas this weekend. Um, we're gearing up for Valentine's Day. We, one day only, are going to offer delivery on Valentine's Day. Ooh. Yes. So we're going to put up a menu of items, two different, like, you know, time periods you can choose for delivery. It's going to be around fluff, like, probably downtown and, like, Montrose and stuff. But, yeah, we're going we're gonna to send out some sweets to some happy Valentines.
Very exciting. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. I had a good time as always. All right. And I'll be right back with Johnny Rhodes. Woo! You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Johnny Rhodes, the chef owner of Restaurant Indigo on the north side of Houston. Johnny, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm doing pretty good today. It's nice weather out, so it's not too cold, not too hot. So I'm digging that, so I'm feeling good. All right. Well, thanks for being here. I I mean, I I will tell you, I feel like there's uh, a fascination with your restaurant, at least colloquially among the people that I talk to, uh, that there's there's a sense that there's something kind of exciting about what you're doing at Indigo. I mean, so let me just, well, why don't you kind of describe what it is and then, and then I'll kind of go from there. Uh, what the restaurant is. Yeah. I mean, so there we try to focus on our research and development. Um, the research and development that we use is what kind of forwards the food. Uh, it's the, the narrative, I, I guess you could say. Uh, and that research and development is focused around um, how African-Americans in particular have survived uh, multiple waves of agricultural oppression uh, and how those agricultural oppressions have actually created um, soul food. Um, and then we want to talk about, you know, how they how did they survive these things? What did they do? Um, and why did they why did they do it this way? Um, it's very easy to look at, you know, what people were eating. Um, but the real question is why they were eating those things. What was going on around them that forced them or that made them feel that this was what was necessary to eat, whether it be for nutritional reasons or dietary reasons, uh, religion. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Right. So I don't know that many chefs approach food from that perspective. Not like there, there's one thing to say. There's one thing to research old cookbooks and delve into historic recipes and ingredients it's another thing to look at the social conditions that created those dishes in the first place, right? That's essentially what you're, what you're doing. All right. Yeah. No, I would say that that would that would that would that would wrap it up some. Yeah. How did you become interested, not just in, uh, what people cooked, but why they were cooking it? So, in all honesty, I absolutely hated soul food as a kid. Um, there wasn't enough that you can really do to get me to eat it other than collard greens and black eyed peas. I hated oxtails. I hated cornbread. Uh, it just reminded me of poverty, honestly, because a lot of people pay for soul food. I never paid for soul food growing up because it was at every family member's house, every friend's house. Uh, and it created something in me that made me dislike it because I had it so much. Um, but it wasn't, you know, 2020 hindsight wasn't until I got older uh, that I had to realize the ingenuity it took um, for our families to feed us. Uh, but there's a why to that. You know, why did they have to do that? And and since it's become tradition, what was going on in the past that created this cycle in the first place? Right, because coming up as a young cook, I mean, you trained at some pretty established fine dining restaurants, right? I mean, yes, sir. Where, where did you, how did you kind of start your career? Well, I started my career uh, working at CeCe's Pizza when I was uh, in middle school. Uh, my godfather used to own a, a few franchises, and to keep me out of trouble, he had me folding boxes all day. And that eventually led to me working dough, which eventually led to me making pieces. 
Um, but I never really took it, you know, to be anything like I was going to be a chef or anything. Uh, and then uh, once I got older, uh, my mother gave me the idea of selling food out of the house, essentially. Um, and I started doing that. Um, but professionally, I, I was after I came back to Houston in 2012, uh, I started working at Papa's Seafood. And that's what kind of jump-started everything for me. Right. But you were, I mean, there was a point at which you became interested in kind of fine dining. Yeah. Right. New Nordic, right. The kind of Noma influenced ingredient driven. I mean, you, you were on a path to a traditional fine dining career, I would say. Yeah, most definitely. I think that started for me uh, at Oxart. It captivated me. How long were you at Oxart? I was at Oxart just under a year. Okay. And what was that experience like? It was hard uh, coming from uh, a different genre of cooking and stepping into the fine dining scene. Um, it isn't something that is easily transferable, especially uh, being a younger cook. If you're an older cook, you have those experiences. Um, I didn't at the time, and it was a little difficult, but I, you know, I learned a lot and you know, continued to push going forward. And you also made your way to New York, as I, if I remember correctly. Yep, I went on a stodge. Uh, we were on our break from Oxart. I went on a stodge there, and while I was stodging, uh, basically uh, Chef Mike Anthony was like, you ever thought about moving to New York? And I was like, not really, not at this point. And then uh, they you know, basically uh, offered me a job there. I didn't think I was going to be able to take it. Um, things changed when I came back home to Houston from that stage and from that time in New York. And like a week later, he, you know, asked me again. And I said, I'll see you in two weeks. And I was there. So how long were you in New York? I was in New York for a year and a half. So that gets us to what about 2015, I guess? That gets us to the end of, uh, to the end of 2015. So when did you, so, so you were, you were on a pretty traditional fine dining path when did you decide that you wanted to do something different for your own endeavor or or how did you come to that decision uh well the the restaurant industry is volatile for cooks um and i'm it's you're not in full control of everything for your life i would say uh especially when you have kids right you work on someone else's schedule right uh and for i mean frankly for not a lot of money right so, I mean, I figured that if I was going to be willing to do that for somebody else, um, then I would be willing to undertake the suffrage to be able to do it for myself, uh, especially with me having kids. That's a, one of the biggest reasons that the restaurant is only open four days a week versus being five, six, or seven. So I think when I first spoke to you about Indigo, you had this idea of kind of a a modern barbecue restaurant. Yes, sir. That is not what you are doing. In a fashion, in a fashion. Uh, I mean, there are certainly like barbecue influenced dishes, and you have that that wood burning hearth going. But when did you? How did you? How did you make the transition from I'm going to do? A, I mean, not to to be reductive, to just sort of to move for the purposes of moving the conversation along. Vegetable oriented barbecue, mm-hmm. uh, like those preserved yams that I, I remember trying, um, into this like history of soul food. What what sort of prompted that decision? Well, the concept was kind of uh, evolving as I was trying to evolve. So uh, as I continued uh, my time at University of Houston downtown, uh, pursuing my bachelor's in history, 
So over that two and a half year time frame that it took us to get the place actually built out, um, I was learning a lot, and I was learning a lot about food and food history, uh, and it just kind of expanded my mind and expanded the the genre in my mind of how I wanted to um, I wanted people to perceive the restaurant because there's so many barbecue places in Houston. Um, no matter how good or vegetable based or meat based, it just would have been another barbecue place in Houston. Um, and we didn't want that. We wanted to maybe showcase barbecue as an influence and bring the primary way of cooking because barbecue is much more than smoking, uh, even though we call it grilling here for some reason. But barbecue has very several variations of cooking methods, and we want to be able to showcase that um, because the diaspora of uh, African-American foodways is very deep. So, So what are the sources that you're using to study this stuff? Because I think, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I claim no particular expertise. You know, I took one semester of African-American history in college, which, you know, is getting to be uh, a long time ago now for me. Um, but, you know, food history was not right. This was a political history, not a food history. Right. So, so how, did you, how did you become aware of the sources and what are the sources for this kind of uh, research that you're doing? Well, I very first became aware of the sources because uh, while I was attending college and I was looking at all of these uh, history courses, none of them were directed at food history. So uh, they were directed around, you know, Russian history or the Cold War and all these other different things going on. Um, But no matter what's going on in the world, no matter how good, how bad, uh, everybody has to eat. So because everybody has to eat, no matter, no matter whether you're in high culture or low culture, there's a story to tell uh, behind the food. Uh, so with this one, I had a class on you know, the history of Russia, um, and we talked about the Cold War. Everybody else was talking about weapons. I was talking about how you know, the Russians defeated Napoleon by using the scorch and burn tactics. Uh, and this was food-related directly and how this has continuously been an effort or continuously been a trend in every war in world history, right? No war is won with a weapon. It's actually won with food. Right. An army marches on its stomach, right? That's the old cliche. Exactly. So uh, I, I started using resources from the University of North Carolina, South Carolina, um, uh, University of uh, California and Berkeley, um, also using the public libraries here at all over Houston, uh, libraries at University of Houston, University of Houston downtown, uh, and also just doing some personal research, actually taking the time to drive out uh, to different places and talk to people. Uh, that's a, a common communication loss now is that people don't actually go out and, and talk to people about things. And I find so much joy in talking to people about these things because they have so much history and so much passion and so many stories to tell you. So... Let me, uh, so I, I think the, the social history aspect of it is kind of what sets Indigo apart, but on a certain level, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter if the food doesn't taste good. You know what I mean? Like, All right. uh, so what, so how do you take those ideas and then create the dishes that have become, you know, this, this evolving sort of series of dishes that you do? By a taste, three different tasting menus at Indigo. Uh, well, I would say it's all about perception. Um, the way that I perceive the history or the way that I comprehend it may be a little different than how someone else might. Uh, and I'm not going to say that's okay, but you know that's that's human nature. Everybody has a different uh, vantage point. Right. We all take the facts as they're reported and build interpretations on them. 
Right. And Indigo, the food that we serve there is simply my perception of these historical events. How can I take them and comprehend them and then also make it palatable? Um, that's that's the most important part. But we always use the history as the narrative and a directive first before the food is created. Have you gotten any pushback from people? Because you come out and you sort of give these like mini lectures before three of the courses. You right. ever get any pushback from people that are like, uh, I don't care about the politics, just serve me the, shut up and serve me the, the dish? No, um, you you would be surprised how how often people are willing to engage in, in dialogue. And it's because we don't talk enough. Um, that's the whole reason that we have that communal table at Indigo is because um, it's so easy. And that's the reason I don't have a Facebook or any other social media anymore, because it's so easy for people um, to get online and talk. And, you know, you can just close your phone and not have to hear what anybody else has to say. Um, but you can sit down at a table and it's, it's easier to have a conversation, a meaningful conversation when one person is eating and the other person is talking because you can't cut them off with a mouthful of food. Right. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I, and as much as people may think that I'm teaching, I'm also learning. Uh, the learning never stops because, uh, somebody may have a perspective that they can tell me about or that they can teach me about, um, that I may have never considered before. Uh, so as much as this is a learning opportunity for others, it is definitely a learning opportunity for me as well. So are there certain dishes that have kind of emerged as customer favorites? Uh, yeah, that aren't there anymore as well. Well, uh, yeah, I mean a little of both, right? Yeah, a little of both. Uh, so domino, which is where we talk about the game of dominoes, uh, which is our, uh, our smoked fish. Uh, that was a, a, a really big favorite. It's been gone for about two and a half, three months now. Um, but it's coming back uh, for a short period on the pescatarian menu. Uh, the squash dish, which was on the vegetarian menu before it left, was one of the favorites. Um, as well as the collard greens was, was one with the uh, the preserved turnips. Also the carrots, the carrot dish was one. Um, we've, had some, we've had some pretty good dishes that we've really enjoyed. Um, the ribs have been something that people have talked about, along with the ash cakes, I think. Yeah, no, I had the ribs and the ash cakes when I went. That was that was yeah, that ash cake was killer. Thank you. I mean, you're you're starting to you're starting to attract some press attention too. Are we? A little bit. <laughs> uh I mean, you know, you've been on you were on most of the uh best new restaurant of the year list that came out at the end of the year. You were uh featured on Eater, you just got reviewed in Houstonia. Yes, you're gaining some traction. Yeah, we 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 definitely are. I mean, we've we tried to keep our head down on some of these things uh, so that we're not too too high on the on the you know on the love that we get, and never too low on the critique as well. Um, we just want to kind of really focus on everything that we're trying to do um, because we have several several missions and several goals uh, that we would like to hit, and um, as long as other people are appreciating them. Um, and we're able to get to, to reach those goals and meet those, you know, those dreams. And uh, that's all we can really ask for. So what are, so what are a couple of your goals? I mean, you're, you're six months in, so are yeah. you, are you where you thought you'd be? Are you ahead of where you thought you'd be? How's, how's it going, Johnny Rhodes? Uh, it's, it's going pretty good. I have to say, um, I mean, of course you take, you take some lumps. It's a new restaurant. Um, I mean, even you just saying you guys have been at it for six months uh, just kind of reminds me this week that we just hit six months. Uh, and it's 
it's it's a crazy life, man. Uh, especially when you do it with your wife every day. You live together, you work together, uh, you take lumps together, uh, and now we're at that stage where I think we're um, moving forward. It's only going to go up from here. Um, the first six months is the hardest, uh, and I think everything after here is just really up to us and our work ethic. So, so what's the goal? So, what's the goal for the next six months? Where do you want to be at the at the year mark? Uh, at the one year mark, uh, we have a few things that we would like to have happen at the restaurant, and I'll tell you about those before the end of this uh, this shindig here because it's too big to tell you right now. Okay. Um, but we're hoping to be able to have all three menus uh, 100% of the time, uh, which is uh, based upon staffing, which we have brought in some really good people uh, to attack these next six months with. Uh, we're happy to add more seats to the restaurant as well. I know you're curious about how that's going to work. I am a little curious because it, <laughs> it doesn't look like you have room for a lot of extra. It, you know, it's a small space. Who said they were going to be in there? Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, that's something that we definitely uh, that we definitely want to do is uh, we're, we're going to have a garden in the back. We're going to have that backyard area piece, uh, put together. Uh, but we definitely want to be able to add more seats to the restaurant uh, and add another time layer to the restaurant. You know, we have 6, six o'clock and 8.45, but some pe- sometimes people want to get there at 7.30. So we're going to be looking at adding uh, that time slot in so we can have people in the garden later on. Yes, I, I will say just as a... Uh just from like a logistical perspective that six o'clock seating when it's like, cause I, cause just personally, I don't want to eat at nine o'clock. You know what I mean? So it's like, all right, six o'clock. All right. It's like, I got to get through, I got to get from our office in the Galleria or my apartment in Montrose, like all the way through downtown in the heart of rush hour. It was, a, it was a struggle, <laughs> which is not your problem. It's definitely my problem as a diner. But uh, you know, if the, if, the, the standards for like a, a a Michelin like a Michelin starred restaurant is like worth a detour or worth a journey. Right. Uh, within the boundaries of the city limits of Houston, you're a little bit of a journey. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, that's one of the things. So I, I, one of the things I think a lot of people that aren't from Houston or even are from Houston aren't very familiar with this side of town. Um, the, and there are so many back streets and uh, ways to get to it. That I mean, I can literally get from the restaurant to Pearland without ever touching the freeway, and I think I could probably beat you there if you take the freeway. At certain times of day, that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, that's another great part about this. As much as we're exploring the history of soul food, we're also exploring other parts of Houston because there's so much culture in that area. Oh um, no, you're bringing people. I mean, and I, you know, certainly in my case, like I, I'm not shy about this. I had not been, you know. If I got off at, at forty, if I got off at Cross Timbers at forty five, it was to turn left to go to Barbecue Inn, right? <laughs> I had never been down Barry Road before. I don't, you know, right? Uh, but so you're definitely bringing people to a part of the city they haven't, they haven't been to. But on the flip side, what has the neighborhood's reaction been? Because all of a sudden there's these, you know, these visitors, or or are they receptive to it? Are they excited that, that this is happening? Are they aware of it? I mean, right. what's your perception of how that, that part's going? I mean, there have been a, a lot of questions. There's been a lot of conversation about that. We even have diners that ask about that. Um, but, you know, communication rules the nation, and we try to make sure that we're communicative with the community and communicative with our diners as well uh, because there is some moral empathy that's involved in this. Um, the restaurant 
is a stepping stone. Um, that of course, we want to have the restaurant for the next 10 years. Um, but the idea is to use the restaurant and everything that we're doing there uh, to propel us to create a 100% self-sustainable grocery store in our community. Um, and that's so that we can combat food deserts in our area and hoping that this can catch fire and be something that happens all over Houston. Um, too many liquor stores and convenience stores uh, with no fruits or vegetables. Yeah, because I, I do kind of wonder about, you know, you're in a neighborhood where I think it's safe to say most of the people who live around you probably can't afford to eat there. Yeah. So, so do you have a way to kind of contribute more directly, like to, to, I mean, to offer food that people in the neighborhood can afford? Right. So uh, one of the things that we're focusing on that we've been doing since we opened is we get tons and tons of produce. Uh, and for the vast majority, a lot of you guys don't get to eat it for several years. Um, but what we have is we have so much that's left over. And I don't mean left over as in um, we just not using it or it's about to go bad or anything like that. But we take certain rations out of everything that we get and we basically make uh, small grocery bags uh, filled with fruits and vegetables. Uh, hardly ever will we ever give any meat. Uh, just because of dietary reasons, but we'll give these things to people or to kids that need them. Uh, and by need them is, is pretty clear that, um, that, you know, fruits and vegetables are needed in the household. So, well, that's good. So that's creating like a more interactive relationship with the neighborhood. Right. Right. And we talk to the kids sometimes because the summer's coming up. Um, and during the summertime is pretty dangerous for you know african-american kids in poverty with it being more policing not being in school not having anything to get their hands into uh, so i ask them all the time what are you guys doing this summer and they're like oh we're doing this that and the third i'm like you guys aren't trying to make any money and they're like what what are we gonna do i was like you gotta eat right everybody else gotta eat why are you not growing no tomatoes right now you know why aren't you growing any fruit what's what's going on what are you doing and and it puts this question mark in their head of, you know, what are the possibilities with this? Uh, and though I may not be the one to teach them to do it or, you know, physically help them with it, uh, it at least gets their mind, you know, jogging and thinking about, you know, things to do this summer. Right. And that will be maybe even easier when you have the garden planted because it'll serve as a physical right. inspiration, I guess, for lack of a better Right. Well, it gives them something to see. Uh, yeah. And then what it will eventually lead to is what I'm hoping for is they'll come and ask questions. Um, because the court, when they ask those questions, that means they have an idea. So I think the, the one thing that the people, I think they're, the two questions that I get from people are, is the food good? Right. And, and, I, and I can tell them like unequivocally having, having eaten there in December, that, that I really enjoyed my meal. Uh, my, my friend that came with me, Matt Harris, really enjoyed his meal. And, uh, you know, I won't, I won't speak for the venerable food critic who was sitting at the other end of the counter from me, but, but it seemed like she had a pretty good experience too. Right. Um, the other question that people ask me is, um, is it busy? And I, and I can't really judge that because I, I only went there one night. Right. So, so let me ask you, from a from a business perspective, from a uh, a headcount perspective, are you are you kind of at where you thought you'd be? Or are you ahead of where you thought you'd be? How's that How's that part going? So when we very first opened, we were expecting to work at uh, open at uh, in our first year at 
50% or less occupancy. We have done well over that number <laughs> since we've opened. Um, we have days that are slower than others, uh, but the restaurant is, is really doing really well. Uh, and I cannot complain about it uh, even a little bit. Um, it feels really good to be able to do the things that we've done to, to get to this point uh, and people be as supportive as they've been. Um, we've had people that's come and eaten at the restaurant four or five times now. <laughs> and we've, we've gotten to a point to where we tell people, if you come here you know, more than three times, we're going to start calling you cousin. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, the fact that people are enjoying us that much, uh, and the fact that we have available seats, um, it's, it's not a perplexed situation because, uh, unfortunately the restaurant won't be for everybody, just like any other restaurant. Everybody doesn't like McDonald's. Everybody doesn't like Chick-fil-A. Right. I think everybody likes Chick-fil-A. I I think steak and shake is much better than Chick-fil-A. Okay. Well, we'll have that argument later, but, uh, (laughs) But no, I mean, you are serving, you know, a vegetable forward tasting menu. Yes, sir. It, it's, I, I will concede that it's not for everybody, but I do think it's maybe for more people, uh, at least than I thought maybe it was going to be for. Like, I, yeah. I think you're, you're reaching a broader audience than, than maybe I would have guessed in the beginning. I, I, and I would agree with you on that. I never would have thought that... Um the the way we've been received would be so well. Um, like I said, I originally believed that we would have started off a lot, a lot more difficult and a lot harder. Um, but people have enjoyed us, and I'm not sure if it's because they actually enjoy the food or they actually enjoy the conversation. Uh, but either way, we'll take that W. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think, just from talking to people, I think they're coming because they're curious about the food. And then they find that they also enjoy the conversation right. that they're being presented with ideas that they had never heard before. And, and I was speaking to uh, an African-American friend of mine who was like, Oh, we've heard some of these stories growing up for a long time. Like, like I know these stories and, and all I can say is, is you may, and, and some of your diners may, I, I certainly don't. Right. I didn't grow up hearing those stories. And so, you know, I'm interested, right? I'm engaged. I'm, I'm excited to hear them. And then to kind of maybe go from there and, and do a little, you know, maybe not like go to a library. That's a, that's a high bar, but at least a little Googling and try to find out a little more about this stuff. Right. And I don't think I'm the only one. I mean, that's, that's amazing. This is, uh, those are things that we want to take place. Um, because as we're talking about some of these agricultural oppressions, um, these things take place because people are unaware of them. Uh, and, you know, as we talk about it and as we serve serve you the best food that we possibly can, um, this is not only something that for you to have in this moment, but we're hoping that it's something that you carry with you. Um, because as you look at it and as we look at society, um, we often look at it as being black or white. We never really consider the gray areas uh, that contribute to it being black or white. Uh, and when we talk about these things, when we talk about people not having food and it being the reason for crime, 
or you know people not having only having alcohol around them and how how difficult it is to break these institutionalisms uh it makes people question some of the judgments that they may pass the next time they see somebody uh that's struggling uh and these are things that you know I've had to consider growing up you know my mom always telling me like you know make sure when you throw that stone you be ready to catch it right back at you uh, so <laughs> That's something that I think about uh, in the food context, um, and that's something I think about in the social context as well. All right. So pickling and preservation are a big part of yes, sir. the cuisine at Indigo. Like, you're, you're, you're getting ingredients in this week. Like, how far away from now is it going to be that diners are going to get to eat them? Uh, so we're getting in more turnips. We're getting like 150 pounds of turnips uh, tomorrow. And I think we're getting 150 pounds of carrots tomorrow as well. Uh, and you can't have either of these until next year, if you're that lucky. <laughs> if you're that lucky. Um, so you're looking not just at three months or six months. I mean, you're looking at one and two and three years down the road at this point. Is that safe to say? Yeah, that's definitely safe to say. Um, and do you think that will be at the space on Barry Road or... or that will definitely be at this place on Barry Road. Okay. Uh, we're committed to the community, uh, which is the reason that we're there. Uh, this, this concept wouldn't be the same um, if it was somewhere else. No, I think, I think the location and taking people to, as I said, to a, at least a, a part of Houston that I wasn't familiar with, I think that's part of the experience of dining at Indigo is being willing to, to take yourself to someplace that you maybe didn't know about. Right, right. And the greatest part about it is some people, so many, we have so many people that aren't from Houston that live here now. Uh, and because of this, they're very interested in coming to eat with us. And they're like, wait, this is still Houston? Uh, and what reminds them that they're in Houston and that they're in Texas is, is when people in the community are riding horses to the gas station and going right back to their house right around the corner. Right. Um, so, so what is kind of in, on the horizon for you? I mean, what, what are your goals for the, for the future? Um, I'm hoping to get a lot of preserving done. Uh, we want to we want to get a lot of preserving done, um, both on the meat and vegetable side. Um, looking at getting that greenhouse built in the back uh, this year before May. Um, I would like I, I would like to uh, get some type of uh, scholarship going for the, some of the kids in the area that are interested and agriculture uh, in particular, so that they can just go see what it's like. Um, we have a lot of kids that are interested in science, and, and they just like to be outside in general. Um, and I would love to see for them to be able to just be exposed to gardening and pulling something fresh off of a tree or off of a, a, a bush and eating it. Um, what else What are our goals for the restaurant? Is it... a uh, is it self-loathing to say that we, we, we want to compete with like the best restaurants in the city? No, I, I think, I, I mean, I think that that's, uh, I, first of all, I, I always think ambition is a good thing, right? I think you, you should aim high and try to hit it. Uh, but also I think, I think that that is starting to be at least, at least from a media perspective, how you're perceived. I mean, tasting menus, maybe aren't as fashionable as they were five years ago, but that culinary narrative that you can, you know, that like that chef's perspective on a topic is still best told through a tasting menu. Right. 
I mean, that's something that we want. We 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 would love to be. This is the fourth largest city in the country, uh, soon to be the third or the second, and we have one of the less complex uh, dining scenes in the in the out of those major four cities, and uh, it would be it would be. It would mean a lot to be able to have, you know, be the forefront for something to change that kind of helped change the forefront uh, of the dining scene in Houston. You know, less steakhouses, uh, more intricate meals, more uh, more meals that require smaller spaces. Because what you're seeing taking place is um, these chefs aren't owning their businesses and their restaurants are closing. Um, but if these chefs can start working together, we have smaller establishments. Uh, you'll have more chef-driven restaurants, uh, higher quality food. And uh, just overall, better food for Houstonians. Yeah do you do you feel like you're part of the chef community in Houston? Do I feel like a part of? I, I have my own chef community in Houston. Okay. Uh, and and I don't know if I'm a part of the chef community in Houston or not. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't care about it um, from an outside point. Um, every, every it doesn't have to. You don't have to be a part of a group to lead a group. If that makes sense. You're going to lead by example, and if other people. And other, if other people respect it, if other people like it, they'll, they'll, they'll do the same. All right. Well, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless there's something that you feel like you want to share. Uh, yeah, I think you asked about uh, the preserving and the pickling. Um, I don't know if, we, if you ever asked, if I ever told you why that was such a big part of uh, the, the, the uh, concept. No, I, I, I don't think you have, and, and that's, that's actually a, that's a great question, so... So how did how did that become such an important part of what you're doing at Indigo? Um, so when we look at uh, historically, when we look at um, after you know the Civil War, you had the Great Depression ensue almost literally right afterwards. No, 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 no. All right, now look, I have to. I took enough history. The Civil War ended in 1865, mm-hmm. and the Great Depression started in like 1929. Right. So you have 70 years. You have. Reconstruction, you have the rise of industrial America, right. you have you have a lot happened between those two things. Right. But for food purposes, uh, we can, I mean, we can throw in the Industrial Revolution and we can talk about the Reconstruction area. Uh, and those things are very much a part of the Great Depression um, that leads up to it, especially Jim, uh, Jim Crow, which is what led to what we're right. talking That's about That's the now. dominant social movement in African-American history after right. the Civil War, right? That. Right. right. The the progress of reconstruction is completely undone by right. Jim Crow. And All this, right. this is and in my opinion, this is what created soul food during the Great Depression. Uh is you have uh the Jim Crow era take place. And basically what it is is crop sharing. You have all these African American farmers who don't have who don't own any land. Uh and without them owning any land, you have no respirations given to African Americans or African slaves after the Civil War. So when the Great Depression actually takes place and now all these farmers no longer have their land because they've lost it because they didn't own it. They're now being thrown to the wolves with no land. And without them having any land during the Great Depression, this keeps them from being able to grow food, cultivate food, uh, which keeps them from being able to take care of their families. Well, and a lot of them would wind up moving to the industrial cities of the north, right? This is, right. This is the Great Migration, as I, as I think it's called. Yes, the Great Migration. Yes, but all those African Americans that weren't that didn't do these things, you still have many, many. In, sure, millions and millions of people stayed. Right, right? they didn't migrate. Right, but uh, but a lot of people also died of malnutrition and starvation during this time period. 
You know, the, uh, if you look at the WPA uh, narratives, uh, it was interviewing people, uh, African-Americans during the Great Depression, and they said they ate better during slavery than they did during the Great Depression. Uh, and the ones that survived that, that didn't die of malnutrition or starvation, they survived by jamming, canning, pickling, curing, smoking, salting things. These are ways they, they went back to their ancestral roots and during slavery to be able to survive this Great Depression. So, so that, so then, so paying homage to that mm-hmm. and putting, that's what's driving that's a what, lot of the techniques that are on the menu. At right. That's what drives the base of it. So when we have things, we, we may have different sauces and things, but a lot of these sauces start off as preserves and we take them from being a preserved state and now into a sauce state. All right. Yes, sir. All right. This has been a, a deep, uh, a, a heavier conversation maybe than, than, most episodes of this, but I, I do want to end on a lighter note. I have what I call the lightning round. Boom. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Johnny Rhodes, what's your favorite cookbook? Mm. Does it have to be a food cookbook? or No. Uh, I would say What the Slaves Ate. All right. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? The Internet. The Internet? Yeah, that's a little, it's a group. Okay. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, I blame Justin you for this, but it's Whataburger. <laughs> uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I'm going to have to say Akeem Olajuwon. And then finally, what is your go-to pizza order? My go-to pizza order? Yeah, like if you're any generic pizza restaurant, give me an... Give me a, an X or a Y or whatever. Me lovers. Awesome. Johnny, give us the website and the Instagram and all that. How can people find you? All right. You can find us online at hdxindigo.com, uh, and that's where you can make your reservations and um, get, in, get in contact with us directly. If you're looking for us on Instagram, you're going to find us at restaurant underscore indigo hdx. All right. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at esandler on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast through the uh, Apple Podcasts app, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, We love your comments and reviews, uh, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.